Welcome to 20th Century Geek. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and this episode, we're going to be reaching into deep antiquity and disturbing those creatures that live beyond the shadows of time and deep into space. Those things that recognise us as just a blip in existence in this bleak and unrelenting universe. We will be discussing those creatures Cthulhu, Yogg-Sothoth, those great elder beings. You may have guessed actually, we're going to be doing a focus on H.P. Lovecraft, one of the greatest sci-fi horror writers of the 20th century that does or maybe doesn't get enough attention these days. His influence reaches wide and far. People like Stephen King, Clive Barker, some of the best novelists in the world, and more recently, programmes such as Stranger Things have all been influenced by Lovecraft, or referred to as Lovecraftian. But who was H.P. Lovecraft? What was his work? And really, more than anything, should you be reading it? I'm going to hand over now to myself and a good friend of this show and expert on H.P. Lovecraft, Chris Lackey. So please sit back and enjoy the cosmic dread that is our conversation. Chris Lackey, welcome to 20th Century Geek. I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, and before we start, uh, why not introduce yourself and uh, and your podcast and other things you do as well? Uh, my name is Chris Lackey, as you already said, so I'm being a bit redundant right off the bat. But I am the co-host of the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com and also the co-host of a relatively new podcast I do with my wife called Rachel Watches Star Trek, where I get my... Uh, sci-fi novice wife to sit down and watch the original series of Star Trek with me and we discuss it and she is hilarious and I just know a lot about Star Trek that's uh that sounds like <laughs> something to, that's a challenge I've yeah <laughs> there have often been days when I've said to my wife oh, should we watch this and I, and I just get a sort of a a blank sort of glazed oh, expression yeah. so maybe one day I think I'll try that with, with a different show uh, <laughs> but there's a hint in there obviously of what we're here to talk about today um, I contacted you because you have uh, experience talking about one of the most um, commonly known now authors of the 20th century, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you say that he's commonly known, but he is really still quite niche. And I found that out the hard way doing a podcast about H.P. Lovecraft. When I'm out and about in the normal world, I often run into people and they say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I do a podcast about a science fiction horror writer from the early 20th century. And they say, oh, who? And I say, H.P. Lovecraft. And they go, oh, never, never heard of him. Almost Re- all, every single time. Every oh, single really? time. Really? Uh, I'd say once at somebody's wedding, somebody goes, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> Just once. Okay. So I, I, in our geekosphere, uh, Lovecraft has definitely become a lot more prominent than it used to be. But in mainstream media and pop culture, he's still pretty periphery. Which is, you know, is tragic in so many ways. Um, I mean, to give an example of things that are so popular today, when you think of things like Stranger Things, oh yeah, um, and those sorts of shows, uh, there's so many horror films and stuff that you know people go on. Even things like Stephen King is so heavily influenced. Um, yeah, for them not to know Lovecraft uh, is is a real tragedy, really. Well, it is in a way, but also I don't think most people could deal with Lovecraft's writing. Because it is it is very antiquated, and his style of prose is not something that a modern audience is used to. And I think if you're going to get into Lovecraft, you have to be ready to put on your boots and get to work. It's not one of those that you're just going to read while you're on the toilet. Uh, just it, it just isn't. That's the, that's the style of his work. So I think that Lovecraft is as popular as he should be, and the right people know who he is and he has inspired so many other authors and uh, writers and filmmakers because those are the people that do the work that want to get into it and they're able to kind of process his work digest it and then uh you know spit it into the mouth of babies so that they can (laughs) properly uh, digest his work and get get the ideas across so I think that's okay. If most people watch Stranger Things, they don't know that it come it came from Lovecraft. A lot of those ideas are, are the kind of the weird. Uh, that's 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 all right. I think it's fun to have this author, who whose work is something that it's kind of a club. It's you have mm. to 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 be a Lovecraft fan. You have to decide one that you're going to sit down and read some writing that can be a bit laborious, but if you put in the work, you're going to get great rewards in my opinion obviously that it's it's about um you know you only get out what you put into something and i think with lovecrafts if you put in the work you get over uh, his language or you learn the way that he writes and his meter and the vocabulary i mean when i started reading lovecraft when i was a teenager i had to look up words pretty much every single paragraph i remember i read it with a dictionary well, Next you, to me. you see that as a teenager, I'm 36, I still do it, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there's still words I look up and I go, wait, what does that mean? I think I know what that means. Squamous? Wait, I know, yeah. do I Do I really know what that means? Let me look that up. I, I, I know what you mean, though, about what you say about, um, you know, reading reading his work. It's a commitment. And, it is. And it, it, but it does pay off, I think. Um, you know, I, I started, I, I first read... You know, uh, Lovecraft about ten years ago. I was in my mid twenties, and I think I'd heard about it, and I took it on, uh, thinking it was going to be like pulp horror. Yeah. Um, of, of you know, sort of thinking of that era, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be quite throwaway. It's going to be quite sort of. I get the idea, and then jumped in and thought, well, I'll go straight for the big ones, and so went straight in for uh, the Call of Cthulhu and mm-hmm. uh, the Mountains of Madness. 
and yeah, I, I wasn't ready. I was I wasn't mentally well, prepared yeah. to to take those on. Now, and, Call uh, Cthulhu, I think, is a pretty good story to begin with because it kind mm. of gets going right away. The first paragraph is some of the best writing in the history of mankind. I'll just say it. The first paragraph is amazing. Uh, but At the Mountains of Madness, the first, what, 20, 30 pages are about an Arctic expedition and what they pack and what equipment they're using. And it's like, where's where's the story? Where's the monsters? Where's the cool stuff? Where's the... You know, you really have to go, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to go through all this stuff. I guess it's important to the story. It's not. It's not important yeah. to the story. <laughs> it's just Lovecraft really loved Arctic expeditions, and he was reading a lot about it, and he was super into it, and he just wanted to write about it. So that's cool. But as a reader, especially if you're a modern reader and you're used to having, you know, reading things that are short or you're not – uh, move at a very quick pace or everything builds to an end point or as part of the story you know you can't mm. it's like Tolkien I feel like there's a lot of Tolkien where there is um, there's a lot of tangents a lot of side stories things that don't necessarily need to be there like you know Tom Bombadil all that stuff yes no, doesn't really need that. to be in there it it paints a picture of the world and it's interesting but after it's done you're like wait why did why did i read that why was that in there i, I know exactly what i mean i mean one of the things um you know you learn as you sort of learn through literature are things like um chekhov's gun and that sort of thing right and, and the, there are rules like that in in that like you say that lovecraft is just not going to adhere to no nope. you know, like you say there, there are comments <laughs> and there are scenes and you think oh that's going to be fascinating when that pays off uh, oh it's not it's not going to pay off it doesn't no. come back again or no like um but like you say, his style and his uh, the the just the the depth of his ideas. Yeah. Um, when I did, I mean, one of the things I did actually, when I to get into it, I stepped away from the the bigger stories or what I saw as the bigger stories, and sort of I bought a paperback, um, and it was a collection of some of the smaller stories. And the first one I read uh, was the tomb. Oh, okay, yeah, that's uh, one of his first stories. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yes. Um, so I'm just looking through now because the other one was um, the tomb, and then for the name of it, um, the one where they co- he comes out of the he comes out of the uh, the ground, and he finally sees himself in the mirror. The outsider. That's it. The outsider. Just found it. Yeah, and that the one outsider. really. So the outsider, and that that really um, struck me as well. Like some of the imagery and stuff in that, I thought was fascinating. And it is. It's almost like you've got to to learn to walk. You know, sort of walk before you can run with Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Like you have to build up, um, and listening to to uh, yourself and your co-host Chad, sort of when you when you went through all the Lovecraft stories mm. um, in in sort of chronological order, it's clear that that, that well, that's what he did. Well, he had all these ideas, but he, he you know he sort of he started first. And he was obviously imitating um, others, and sure slowly and surely like his ideas come through until all of a sudden you get this sort of like hit after hit after hit of you know all these uh this cosmic uh horror and, and sort of like real sort of like cutting edge ideas for uh you know late 20s and 30s yeah well I, what i think makes lovecraft stand apart from other writers and why his work is so en- enduring is that he with horror specifically most of most horror stories are about a threat to the mundane, a threat to your life, to your family, to your way of 
your way of life, maybe your culture, any of these things, these are, your world is safe or was safe, but now there's a threat to it. And the idea with Lovecraft's kind of existential cosmic horror is that actually the, the default, the base setting of the universe is malignant and malign and horrible. And we've just kind of convinced ourselves that it's not that way, that we've made our own quiet little dark places here that are away from the light of understanding and knowledge. And we live in our little pool of ignorance and we're quite happy in that. But the universe is actually a terrible, horrible place. And it's it's that. It's kind of twisting the the fundamental basics of a horror story. And not it's not like the world's a decent place and God's out there protecting everybody. But then there's a few demons that are out lurking. It's no, no, other way around. In fact, mm. not way past the other way around. We've got this tiny little speck and everything else is crazy and bizarre and horrible. And that idea is is something that really uh, excites me. And I think it excites lots of other authors and filmmakers and, and creative types. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it is a fascinating idea because it does. It takes that idea, that notion of safety of, you know, like, say, our planet and, we, you know, the interface. I always find it interesting that when you see... Um, horror directors or even authors or sort of say sort of some creators they say oh the thing that really terrifies me isn't the ghosts and ghouls it's it's what other people can do to each other yeah and I, I sort of think well no I see that on the news every day and I get that we're we're basically we're horrible people what terrifies me is beyond the atmosphere of this planet is an infinite space and there could be anything out there anything there could be anything and I I I've heard people say that. It's like, yeah, real people are the things that terrify me. But in the reality of our lives and most people's lives, especially in England and, and the United States, you're fairly safe. Like you're, most, most people aren't going to be murdered or killed or, or robbed. It just you're, The odds are in your favor that you're going to be just fine and they're going to live to be a, a decent age. Mm. That's why life expectancy, I mean, that's death and murder is factored into your life expectancy, which is now uh, for for men in, in their early or late 70s, early 80s and women in their into their 80s. So you're going to probably live to be about 80 years old, most likely. So that means that our world is pretty safe, generally speaking, especially in places like England and Europe and, and, and these types of places where there isn't any war going on at this particular moment. And doesn't seem to be any war brewing uh, right now, but people like to find those those instances where something bad does happen, where somebody is, kills another person and does a horrible thing, or there's a, a cannibal or a mass murderer or a shooting or or something like that, and they fixate it and they focus on these things, but they are really blips. They're not. Mm. They're not in the grand scheme of how many of billions of people that are going on when a few thousand. A few, I'm sorry, a dozen people are murdered by one person. That's, that's nothing. That's, I mean, it's not nothing to those people and to their lives. It's very important. But on the grand scale of humanity, it, it doesn't really factor in. Now, if you look at Lovecraft's world, it's like, okay, everything that you know is, 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 is just as insignificant as like all your cultures, your language, your history, your technology, all of those things will be gone and nothing will remember them. Nothing will care. It, it's all very un, unfeeling and horrible. And that stuff is kind of 
the true horror. Like everything is mm-hmm. like you can only die once, so that's not so bad. But I think the idea of of your civilization, your your people, your language, your species is just gonna fade into obscurity and nothingness is really hard to deal with well yeah i think it is it's, 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 you know he looks to the future and the past and i also find it that you know the fact that there was intelligence um before us like this great intelligence these elder beings or elder gods and it's like, oh yeah yeah you you are here now but you know you are nothing compared to what came before and you know what there's a likelihood that they might come back and you're not going to be able to stop in their way it's like you say, it's the insignificance of the human race. It's um, it, it undercuts the arrogance of that we yeah. are the dominant species on this on the planet and stuff. Um, yeah. Which I, again, I always find that fascinating in his work. Um, like I say, just that idea that, like, like you said, that, that we don't matter, really, in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Um, but but I mean, let's sort of twist the topic then. Really, I mean, sure. This is a this 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 person this this man obviously came up with these ideas, and they weren't uh, typical ideas of the time. No, um, I mean if you look at the other you know the other authors that you've also looked at at this time, but I, I think of um, ho- from a horror point of view, you do still have the ghost stories and some of the sure. weird fiction. So you get people like M. R. James, uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, those yeah. sorts of people still writing, and so he comes forward as this sort of sci-fi horror where does this come from who is hp lovecraft who is he and why is, why is he so different that's the well thing, yeah. yeah it's uh, it could be from uh, his upbringing maybe the fact that uh, the way that he grew up the stuff that he read i mean he read all of those things uh, he also was a big fan of dunsany and arthur Mackin, and they touch upon the weird and the creepy but not quite the the cosmic horror that lovecraft was able to kind of encapsulate and sort of made famous and that's why he's well known but um what do you did you do you want me to kind of give a brief biography on him or well it's worth i think it is worth talking about just just in in general okay, sure. really because i think it's yeah. interesting um well where he was he born does come from sure yeah he was born uh he was uh hp lovecraft uh, howard phillips lovecraft was born in providence in 19 or 1890 uh to uh his parents, who uh, his dad was a traveling salesman and his mother was just a, a housewife. Uh, his father was institutionalized when he was three years old uh, due to syphilis, most likely. And uh, he died a few years after that. So he didn't really know his father very well. Uh, his mother, uh, there's a lot of speculation about his mother and his relationship and that maybe she had some sort of Oedipal complex, which I don't think that quite works that way. I think she was fixated on her son in a very unnatural way, supposedly. Mm. Uh, but she also was institutionalized when he was about 18 years old and uh, died in a mental institution a few years later. Uh, also, again, probably from syphilis or com- uh, complications due to, to syphilis. And he was very sickly as a child. He read lots of mythology. He loved the Arabian Nights when he was a kid. He uh, spent a lot of time on his own. He wasn't very sociable as a child, but he was very bright. He did a lot of writing. He, there's some of his juvenilia you can still find out there, the stuff that he wrote when he was a kid, uh, which is, it's not very good, but it's the fact that he was writing and doing this was amazing at his age. And he would publish little pamphlets. He wrote about astronomy. 
He was very into the sciences, but he was bad at math. So he never really got the good grades that he wanted. And he also had kind of a bit of a nervous breakdown when he was a teenager and he never even graduated high school. Uh, so obviously college was kind of out for him and he wrote for the pulps. Uh, his family was of wealthy blood, but by the time it got to him, that wealth was gone and his uh, his family was very poor and he ended up living with his with his aunt, uh, his mother's sisters, or his mother's sister, he, never, I don't remember, uh, his his aunts for a while, uh, he got married briefly, uh, lived in New York with a woman, Sonia Green, uh, but that didn't work out. And then he just moved back to Providence. He didn't actually get divorced. He just kind of left her and uh, they never filed any paperwork, but uh, he's sort of an odd guy, but he did correspond with a lot of people. His correspondence, uh, his letters that he wrote to people were... Uh, uh, voluminous, way more than he ever wrote a fiction or poetry or anything like that. There's just, uh, he would write people 30, 40 page letters and talk about all types of different things, either writing or just what was going on in the news or philosophy or, or about poetry or, or, you know, whatever. I mean, some of his letters are still around and especially some of the ones that he wrote to other writers. And that's kind of why I think Lovecraft has stood the test of time is because he didn't really feel like he owned things that he wrote. Like he mm. would share his, his material with other writers. So if he came up with something in one of his books, like the Necronomicon, if one of the other writers wrote about the Necronomicon in their book, he encouraged that. So there's kind of this with the shared universe with other writers like, uh, um, Robert E. Howard, who did the Conan stuff, um, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, um, uh, just uh, many others. And he kind of also guided younger writers. So uh, Robert Block, who wrote Psycho and wrote episodes of Star Trek, he was a protege of Lovecraft's. Uh, again, this is all just through um, correspondence, through letters. He never met most of these people in person. Um, but he did travel and he liked going out to places. He was one of these kind of guys that would wander at night and go to cemeteries and just kind of like to be in the quiet, in the dark. And uh, I don't know if he, I would say he was necessarily fixated on death, uh, but just the kind of the quietness of night calmed him and made him feel uh, better about himself because he was, he did suffer from some, yeah, some kind of, thank um, you for, that's a fantastic biography. It's a really good overview. I, oh, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, it's one of the points you made there is, um, hello? The, you know, you say, oh. hello? yeah, back. Okay, sorry. Like I say, his his fixation on death. It's um, for me. You look at his childhood. You know, obviously losing his dad early, and then then the impact of, of losing his, his his mother later on. Um, and then, but obviously, he was he was interested of interested. I think he was obviously a big fan of of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, he comes with that sort of macabre uh, tint as well. Um, but I love the fact more than anything. One of the things I'm I'm, I'm always so impressed with. Um, with Lovecraft, when you look at his work, is that thing you said that it was almost like an open source, you know, uh, horror writer. He would write things yeah. that would be, please contribute, you know, contribute to it, take it, uh, expand upon it, and do things which I think people still do now. You still get very much the Cthulhu mythos mm. uh, short story collections, um, and it's it's funny that one of the things when I when I when I first came across him, he was very much depicted as a loner, as you said, a bit of an odd guy. 
Yeah. Um, but he was never. I didn't realize he was associated with all these other people. Oh yeah. And the more the more I've learned is like you say he he was incredibly generous with his time th- through correspondence and his yeah. his experience and and his encouragement um, is it's it's just I think it's fascinating. To see. I don't think authors today would probably be as um, willing to share those sort of elements as you know as much as he did really no no well i mean to him also uh, he, he didn't really see unfortunately much value in his work to him it was like he got published you know in these pulp magazines and that was about it and there was never a collection of his work in his lifetime that ever happened because his work wasn't popular enough and it wasn't until after he died that um august derleth started um Arkham House Publishing and collected his works and started uh, publishing them and they got more and more popular and mm. uh, that's when it finally started actually turning a profit and making money. So for Lovecraft, he was just kind of uh, sadly happy that people were interested in what he wrote and was excited that people were sharing in his, his ideas and his creations. I suppose it's similar today, but it'd be someone writing uh, a self-publishing something through Amazon Kindle and, and getting some attention and some 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 uh, traction through that really the excitement of having a few or even even creating a podcast and making you know having people yeah. listen to it it's exciting to know that people are trying to interact with you I suppose yeah, um, yeah. but you said so you you mentioned before about sort of Lord, Lord Dunsany and other things other influences and and H.P. Mm-hmm. Love uh, Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. um, one of the things I think that's interesting to touch on is that he, he did go through periods of writing like you know it's, he what he didn't sort of land on a you know, people mention that like, the Cthulhu mythos, or they say, "Oh, Lovecraftian," um, but it's not really something he landed on like with day one. Um, oh no! And you know, so he clearly sort of built up to that. So you know, really, sort of, what are your thoughts on that? Then you know, his build well, up to that. Where did that? You know, where did he go go from? It feels like looking at his earlier works, like the Tomb and and uh, um, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, and the tran- transition of of Juan Romero that stuff seems to be kind of kind of Poe-esque, but then you get things like um, The Doom That Came to Sarnoth and The uh, the White Ship. Those things definitely have a Dunsany kind of feel to them. So the, he was generally trying to find his voice. And I, I think it was quite a while. I mean, it doesn't emerge... Like there isn't a story, a definitive beginning where I go, okay, that's like, boy, that nails Lovecraft, like right there. But because um, the temple, you know, that was one of his very early stories, and that mm. was about a a, a a German submarine, and then they go and they uh, they find this body that has this little idol around its neck, and then it kind of starts driving all the the men mad, and finally the submarine goes to the bottom of the ocean, and then there's this city that's glowing in the water, and he just goes off and die. I mean that's a great story to me that doesn't seem derivative at all that seems like very original and yeah, interesting it was written I, in 1920 I, I, I love the temple it's really good i think the uh it's not yeah not the story but the characterization of the of the german um captain the, the, yeah as he goes yeah. more and more mad and, and keeps talking about the pure german how he gets more and more paranoid about the people around him is yeah. um yeah it's a really well structured story. I, I really enjoy that one yeah, that's a that's actually a pretty good one to get people started on Lovecraft because it is it's short, it's fairly short, and it kind of rolls right into it right away. Mm. Uh, but like I said, also Call of Cthulhu, I think is is his masterpiece. I think that's my favorite H.P. Lovecraft story. 
Uh, there, there's others that I love as well. Most of them. I like Charles Dexter Ward and um, uh, a, um, uh, I, I love the Dunwich Horror. A lot of people don't care much for that one, but I think that's a pretty good page turning, uh, exciting uh, sort of more pulpy adventure kind of thing, but still has that great Lovecraftian uh, darkness to it. And um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's tons of his stuff. That's great. It's, yeah, and I think that's one of the interesting things that we talk about. You know, the temple. The temple is quite a straight story. It's, you know, you say about sort of uh, the, the Dunwich horror. Is you know, it's, and um, but he's also got there's like he has a like a dark sense of humour. Oh yeah. Uh, that I don't think people uh, you know appreciate or sometimes don't see. I mean, I think Herbert West Reanimator. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is and, you know, regardless of the Stuart Gordon version, when you go back to the original story, there are moments in that in that book that are. The dark. It's dark humor, but oh, yeah. it's still it's still a humor. It is. Oh um, yeah. And I think there's you know there's a couple of others where it just sort of it drips into the story where you think oh he's actually, um, you know he is having fun with this or he's he's, he's not completely taking this seriously. So it's sort yeah. of uh, which I find it fascinating. Um, though like you say things like the Call of Cthulhu is, has got bits in it that are you know that. Are, not outright funny, but there's you know moments where you say he's got a humour, but the but the structure there of, of it being like a, I think you guys describe it as like a a, a Russian doll, you know, the mm-hmm. nest egg story. It's, it sort of builds and builds and builds. Um, it's very well thought through, um, and it's clearly spent a lot of you know spent a lot of time, which is I think why it sort of obviously have influenced so many people. Um, but like you say, there are also the ones that you do read and you sort of you probably wouldn't recommend um, oh yeah unless you're a completist <laughs> yes um, yeah absolutely and i'm not gonna even mention those because uh they're not even really worth yes. mentioning so no but i think the other thing as well as you said a lot of this was published um or at least was became popular sort of um you know uh, after his death yeah and because there was there was such a uh a desire to publish his work. They were even publishing things that were probably a first draft or incomplete, yeah. um, and which sort of, to some, I suppose, tarnishes his, you know, his reputation because they're like, "Well, this one's complete rubbish." And he said, "Well, actually, it's a first mm-hmm. draft that he was probably he would have yeah. probably come back to over and over again." So, well, that's uh, one of his famous ones like that uh, that I don't think is necessarily very good, uh, but um, the uh, the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath was something that he wrote and put in a drawer. Uh, I don't know if it was ever really meant to see the light of day. However, uh, the uh, the, um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward was also something that he wrote and was never published and he kind of didn't care much for. And I personally think it's one of the best things that he ever wrote. So, I, Wow, I, di- I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was a, a sort of a, an incomplete or never published. I, I thought that was actually yeah. one of the ones he'd pushed forward. <clears throat> I love that story. Yeah, um, it's quite popular. A lot of people love it too because it, it's great. It's a great story. It really is. I mean, it's in, uh, um, I've also read the original, and there was a um, there was a they did it as a graphic novel, which is fantastic. Oh yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you if you've listened to it, but the BBC recently did like a modern interpretation yes. of it. It's it's on my to do list <laughs> to I, listen to it. Yes. I I binged it in about a day and a half. Oh wow. It's uh, about eight episodes long, and I highly recommend to anyone who's listening. If you're a fan of of, of H.P. Lovecraft, it's on iTunes. It's on the BBC Four. It's really worth doing. It's done as a sort of a. It's done in the sort of the um, structure of like serial or um, one of those sort of crime podcasts. 
um, and it's very, very good. It's excellent. I really enjoyed it. So I'll be interested to see what you th- think of it as well, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely want to check it out. So really, I mean, you know, we've sort of gone through his work and stuff. I mean, before we move on, sort of, you know, just to jump into other bits and pieces, but sure. the two things I wanted to pick out about the man is we, we sort of talked about his correspondence and, and you know, his openness. Um, and not to cast a shadow of him, but, the, you know, it would be unfair not to talk about the other side of him, that he does, there is a reputation and there is a... Um, he had opinions, shall we say. Oh, he was on, racist. Is that yeah, what you're okay, beating around? That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was very, yeah, he was very racist. He wasn't kind of racist. He was definitely racist. And uh, that is an ugly side of him. But um, it, I, I think also his racism, in a way, informed some of his writing. And I think it's important that we're aware that he was racist and had these racist attitudes. Um, but... Uh, not to be a complete apologist about it, he did live in the 1920s and 30s uh, in America, which was an extremely racist place in the 1920s and 30s. I mean, up until, well, one could argue today that America is still quite racist. But uh, in the 1950s, uh, well, in the 1920s and 30s when he lived, there were still laws, uh, segregation laws. Uh, Black people were not allowed to go into many establishments uh, because even up north, it wasn't just a southern thing. There were places that you couldn't, you weren't allowed to go because you were black. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the world that he grew up in, and I think people forget about that. And uh, to put him in his place in history is very important. Uh, now, were there people that were progressive at that time? Definitely, there was lots of people that were uh, champions of of civil rights, um, even in the 1920s and 30s. But as a whole the structure of of American society was about the oppression of African-Americans and, well, any person of color really uh, did not, was not treated fairly, not even close, not even in the same ballpark at all or the same street. You know, like this is way down. It was a bad place. If you go and just look at some of, uh, go online and look at some old newspaper articles from the 20s and 30s about uh, black people or culture and uh, the things that you'll see. I mean, people did blackface and and mm. the minstrel shows and all those things. That was that was fine. That was completely acceptable and that was okay. And I saw uh, you can see ads for like black people masks uh, yeah. you know, that people would buy, and they were. I mean, they were terrible. They were monstrous, and people thought this was funny. You know, they thought that was okay. It was just poking fun. It was good fun. And I think people. It's very easy for people nowadays to look back and say, man, that guy was a racist. And it's like, yeah, pretty much everybody in America was a racist in the 20s and 30s. It's not it's, right. No, no, it's, it's, it's true, though. It's, um, and it's got to be accepted that, I know it sounds bad, you've got to put it in context of the time. But <coughs> I also think you have to put it in context of um, Lovecraft's um Mentality. Because although you say he was, you know, he was he was raised in the earliest part of the twentieth century, but he still wanted to live in an even earlier period. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he would have. He would have been happily, I think, sort of tootling around in the sort of the late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, if he, if he could. Yeah, I I think he's he wrote that a, a bunch. He felt like he was made for an earlier time, mm. an age before. But I think he likes to. Th- 
I think what is unsaid in that is he also likes to think of himself as a bit of an aristocrat, yes. where he he would like to live in that time period if he was wealthy and didn't have to really do <coughs> any, any manual labor or hard work. You know, like if he if he lived two hundred years ago, uh, there's nothing he would have had to work on a farm or do something, or he probably would have died to be honest because he couldn't have survived uh, at, at that that time. So I think he. he uh, glorified the past in in ways that were very unrealistic um and th- but th- that said uh he, he also was xenophobic and that's something that is kind of a through line through his stories again his his attitudes soften a bit as he ages and there is some stuff in mountain at the mountains of madness that makes him look sympathetic at the aliens uh seeing the humanity in the aliens uh, which is was surprising for his work, whereas kind of his earlier stuff is about anything other is horrible and will is insidious and will destroy things. So um, I don't know. It's hard to know what's in the mind of somebody, especially somebody that's been dead for 70, 80 years now. Yeah. So um, where am I going with this? What was I saying? Uh, (laughs) I know what you're saying. One of the things I find interesting about it as well is, uh, and we'll, we'll put a sort of a, a cap on this sort of area of it. Sure, but sure. Is is that sort of idea that he, you know there are some of the stories where he is, um, you say, I would say almost not aggressively racist, but it's a sort of a oh yeah, uh, a, 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 you know, um, which I think Horror Red Hook is definitely racist, uh, and uh, uh, Medusa's uh, Coil is super racist. It doesn't get any more racist than that. And even yeah. um, the Shadow Over Innsmouth, even though it's not overtly racist it kind of is racist in the fact that the 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 protagonist discovers that he secretly has uh deep one blood in him i'm spoiling mm-hmm. the end of that story for you uh i get maybe i should have said spoilers first but anyway i mean it's a it's a 90 year old story so if you haven't read it by now yes, it's, your own, yeah. it's your own fault but he uh that that fear of outside and of the other that is part of his work that's it, that you can see it pop up here and there in some stories uh, more than others and then that's the the connection between that and his cosmicism his cosmic horror is kind of at odds with each other because mm. If you're worried about some insidious thing getting into your society, your culture, your world, your species, whatever whatever it is, that that is a different kind of fear than the 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 idea that the kind of nihilistic fear that like none of this matters. Your life doesn't matter. So what if the deep ones take over humanity? Who cares? The deep ones are going to be dead, you know, in another thousand years anyway. Everything's going to be dead. This planet's going to be dead in a, a few billion years. What difference does it make? None of this matters. So there's that kind of a weird dichotomy in the the man and his writing that sometimes these things are important, but other times they're not important. So just like any human being, he is a complex or was a complex person, and it's difficult to like pin him any one specific ways. And he's also inconsistent with his racism. His wife was uh, Jewish, and he seemed to yeah. not have a problem with that. But then at times was anti-Semitic. So uh, I don't know. How do you square that one? <laughs> don't. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I also understand that he he was 
you know, openly homophobic about certain things, but then corresponded with people that were openly gay. And well, he wasn't. I might be wrong on this, but his his uh, take on homo uh, homosexuality was more like I don't get it. Uh, okay. More than like I don't hate. I hate these people. These people are perverts and things. Because he he took a look at it more historically speaking, and the Greeks and the Romans. Mm. Uh, you know, they had no problem with same gender relation, sexual relationships. And he was like, those people didn't care. So like, you know what? I don't get it, but it's not, it's not my bag, but you know, whatever. That's just, it's a different, okay. it's a cultural thing. Yeah. That's one of his letters. He wrote that there might be another letter out there that says no, no, no. something. You, you, you will know a lot more than I. So. <laughs> but I do, I do sort of find that, you know, he, like you say, he was a complex person. He, he wasn't, oh, yeah. you know, a straightforward kind of guy. Because um, the other thing I find, you know, you see, he read all these things. He was he was incredibly bright, um, but f- but never was able to, to progress it. But one of the things I find most interesting about is, is in his imagination is um, even through all the pulps, and I've I've read an awful lot of crap from this period of pulp, pulp stories all the way through to four. <laughs> Me and too. And, um, and when it does talk about sci-fi and aliens and other stuff, they're always. Uh, Ming the Merciless kind of style. It's sort of like sure. you know, oh, it's it, it, they look like us, but they've got orange hair and green skin, and, and or maybe circles. Sure. And it's very sort of based around that sort of uh, humanoid design, even way up into the, the you know Star Trek and beyond. Of sure, oh yeah, they look humanoid with slightly different bumps on. Um, but for Lovecraft, it was no, no they are completely otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just find that fascinating that that he he was uh, almost on a different plane. Well, yeah, because I think what with most science fiction and a lot of those things that you were talking about with the pulps is that the the um, the aliens are usually an allegory to something that's going on in our culture or our, our society. They represent some aspect of us, and that's what it's being uh, discussed in the story. Uh, so that's why the aliens seem to be a lot like us and and have a lot of our personalities. Where with Lovecraft, he, his whole point of aliens is that they are alien, that they're so different than us that they they don't think like us. They exist in different dimensions than we do. Their sense of time is different than ours. Like they are something other and something we could never understand because we are so limited in our intelligence. And that was what he was trying to get across that that idea of again i'm repeating myself here but cosmic horror and with most sci-fi and most pulps they're usually trying to examine our world our society our belief systems and see who we are kind of sci-fi has always been a reflection on on current culture uh, i i feel and maybe where that culture is going to go whereas with lovecraft he goes that's not what his work's about his work is about trying to freak you the hell out and make you go Oh my God! Why does any of this matter? This is all horrible. Uh, my life is meaningless. <laughs> it but, works. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do. I mean, that's the thing when you sort of, especially look at you look at some of the older, uh, the older, the, the sort of uh, the later stories. Um, I do find that sort of that idea of the complete alien. Uh, I'm trying to think. That it's the uh, I think it's the shadow out of time. Yeah. Um, where the person gets um, sent through through time and space and then finds themselves in an alien body. Yeah, the um, mind swaps with an alien. Well, he doesn't. The alien swaps with him, and so he's stuck in an alien body. 
the story begins with him losing about seven years of his life. Like he just has yes. a fit, doesn't remember anything. And then seven years have gone by and he's trying to piece together what he did over those seven years because he doesn't remember any of it. And then, of course, it leads him on this mystery where he finds out. And he, of course, he gets flashes and dreams of his time, this kind of a bit of a memory of his time in this alien place. But he doesn't know that's what it is. And the revelation of the story is he found out that the Yithians, this great race that existed millions, hundreds of millions of years ago on Earth, uh, tr they travel, they, they body swap with creatures through time. And that's how they exist in these other bodies. And so, and they explore and they record and write, write things down. And that's sort of, sort of their business. And the, the bodies that they were in were, weren't even their original bodies because they have mind swapped with this race uh, before. And then they just keep moving through time again and again. It's, it's really an interesting story. And again, it totally captures that cosmic horror mm. because to us, that's so important. And to them, it's just like, oh, a few hundred million years is, is really nothing to us. We just kind of jump around wherever in time and and we exist on through the you know throughout the universe throughout history and it, yeah it's it's a different type of science fiction because again it's not about looking at our culture it's kind of more horror yeah and i, I think that's that's why it stands out and i, I love like i say i love that sort of science fiction um can do that can be a commentary of our times through um you know, using these different metaphors and, and analogs for things, but I also love the fact that, say, for Lovecraft, it, like I say, it was about freaking him out, and he and he does it. He does a good job of it. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, uh, the Shadow Time, it, it it when he comes, he comes to describe the alien body that he finds himself in, um, and eventually, sort of like you know, uh, trying to use it and stuff is incredible because it's so it's. It's not like oh I, I you know I was able to stand and I you know I figured out how to use my legs or whatever. It's oh no no I've got this tentacle and I've got this and that. And it's it is incredibly it's so alien that you know um, I think like like many Lovecraft protagonists I think I'd have just fainted. So it, it is his take on these things is is unique. Um, and I don't know many authors that would still do that today because they'll say that a lot of people do want to bring it back to the, the human condition or to rep be a representation of things they see in the everyday. Um, I, don't, I don't know your thoughts. Uh, who, who do you think still does this kind of thing today? Are there anyone that sort of stands out? Oh, boy. Now you're, you're sort of going into an area that I don't really know much about. Like Most of my weird fiction reading is... Uh, set in the early 20th century. I don't mm. read many new uh, authors. Um, Thomas Ligotti is one that people really love a lot, and they say he's got a very kind of Lovecraftian style uh, to his writing. I've never read a Thomas Ligotti story, I'm ashamed to admit. Um, you know, uh, we had Patton Oswalt on the show, and he's a big fan of Michael Shea, who uh, wrote kind of Lovecraftian stuff. But, you know, he passed away. He wrote his stuff in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so I'm not really aware of who's writing new weird fiction now. I know there's lots of anthologies of, of mm. people that write. St I mean, there's people I know that are writers, mostly game writers that write uh, fiction as well, because I do a lot of role-playing game stuff. And I've written for Chaosium uh, for their role-playing games. And I've also written for Pelgrane Press, which is another UK-based game company. Um, not much, but a little bit here and there. And 
it, it's if I'm not reading early 20th century weird fiction or science fiction, I'm usually reading either Marvel comics, which I still read. It's it's like junk food to me. It's it's I've read it since I was like a kid. It was the first things that I read, and I still read it. I'm still interested. I don't know what that says about me. Is I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but I still read Marvel comics. Chris, there's nothing to be ashamed. I'm literally sat here. The latest uh, this month's issue of Wolverine arrived this morning. Oh wow! Excited, and I'm very excited to read it this evening. So. There you go. Uh, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, they, they, they all have their place, and uh, it's all oh, different. Yeah. Types, it's all different types yeah. of storytelling. So, um, well, f- for me, it's kind of weird fiction is sort of my work. Uh, mm. So when I when we do our show, we'll read a story, and then I make notes. I make pretty extensive notes on each show that we do. So I spend about a good on a short story. I spend almost a whole day reading it rereading it making notes on it doing research on the author doing research on the story uh, just putting all that stuff together so when you hunker down and spend that much time on something like that i kind of like to get away from those types of things mm-hmm. obviously i read a lot of role-playing game books which is kind of a strange thing to do but i actually read way more role-playing game books than i play them like i just enjoy reading those types of of books and that style of writing and for some reason, I, I get into the mechanics of it. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the the fiddly bits that I enjoy and, and it kind of gets me excited about ideas and I sort of, it's kind of writing in a way that it kind of gets you, your juices flowing and that is exciting for me and that's why I like role-playing game books. But I know a lot of people out there read lots and lots of role-playing game books but don't, uh, don't play. necessarily play that much. I mean, that's how I got into Lovecraft was through role-playing games. I played the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game uh, back when I was about 13 years old. And an f- older friend of mine who I played D&D with is like, have you tried Call of Cthulhu? And I'm like, what the heck is that? It doesn't even make any sense. What is Cthulhu? And he goes, oh, it's based on this writing of this guy, H.P. Lovecraft. And I'm like, I've never heard of, heard of him. And he's like, oh, you should read this stuff. And then that was how I got into H.P. Lovecraft. Well, first I played the game and was like, oh, that's really cool. And I and then from there, I started reading Lovecraft. So if it wasn't for the role-playing game, and I know a lot of people that got introduced to Lovecraft through the role-playing game, and arguably a lot of his pop culture success comes out of role-playing games and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I, I definitely agree with that. When, whenever I've looked at, um, yeah, when I start, you start researching him and stuff, and, and you know, obviously the, 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 the books come up and there's plenty of, like say, anthologies and collections, but a large, large percentage of the stuff that comes up is, is like I say, is related to those uh, role-playing games mm-hmm. and uh, some of the online stuff as well. Um, and then just a plethora of uh, Cthulhu plushies and yeah, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's odd. I, I I do find it interesting that, um, like I say, it's a different medium is sort of not so much taken over, but is is become a, a, an entry point really for it. And is you know that that. Um, the Cthulhu mythos has been expanded. And if anything, I think really Lovecraft would probably love it. I think he's, you know, if he's, he's willing oh, to yeah. share that fiction, I think it's a fantastic I, um, new way of, of using that and exploring that horror. I think, yeah, I, I, don't know, yeah, I think it'd be quite interesting to see how, what people have done with it. Yeah, there's a lot of material out there. Uh, I mean, just ro- of role playing games alone, there's a lot of material, but then there's lots of other authors that have 
of you written Lovecraftian types of works. I mean, even Harlan Ellison, who just recently passed away, he's a big sci-fi writer. He has a bunch of Lovecraftian mythos stories that he did as well, uh, because he came out of that whole like like Lovecraft circle, Robert Block, you know, all those guys that they. Stephen King was influenced by Lovecraft, Clive Barker. Um, there's more Guillermo del Toro. If you want to talk filmmakers, he's a, a huge Lovecraft fan, and that work has inspired his work. So he's just to know of Lovecraft and is is kind of to be in your own little secret club. And anybody that wants to spend the time and sit and read those stories and the very antiquated style of writing and do the work, you'll be rewarded, I feel. And not just rewarded with the work, but be rewarded with this community of people that exist that love Lovecraft. I agree. I think that's a, a fantastic note to sort of, uh, sort of to wrap up on, really. I think, okay. You know, I think he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. Well, no, it's fantastic. It was a fantastic uh, topic. I, I do find it, him, him uh, intriguing in so many ways. Um, but yeah. we'll, we'll pop up and just sort of... Um, Really, it's sort of like I say, if you know, you, you focus on the, old, the 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 originals. Let's say the OG sort of stories. But if you were going to tell someone, um, you know, here's a story for you to get to, to as an entry point, and here's the story that you really need to sort of uh, spend some time with. What what are the two stories that you would recommend? <sighs> well, again, the Call of Cthulhu number one. I say that's just that's. The pure pudding. That's the goodness. That's it gives you everything. It starts off fast. It moves at a good clip. It get, it's got freaking Cthulhu in it for crying out loud. It, it delivers. But if you want other things, um, I would say the Hound is a is a pretty cool story. Um, like I said, the Temple is is pretty great. Um, Rats in the Walls, very creepy, cool story as well. Um, what other ones? I said the Dunwich Horror. I would not recommend At the Mountains of Madness just because you've got to slog through all of that Arctic Expedition stuff. However, I would give somebody INJ Colbard's adaptation, his graphic novel adaptation of At the Mountains of Madness and say, read that. Because I think, honestly, that is is a great way to introduce somebody into Lovecraft. And if they like that, then they could go back and read the whole story themselves. Yeah. Is he is he the person that also did the uh, case of Charles Dexter Ward? Yes. Graphic novel. Yes, he did. Oh, uh, right. Charles Charles Dexter Ward. He also did. Uh, he did four of them. He did uh, Shadows Out of Time, and um, he did an adaptation also of uh, the King in Yellow stuff, the Robert Chambers. Oh, wow. Uh, um, which it was very good as well. Yeah, and he's my friend, so uh, I can't recommend his stuff enough. He. he <laughs> Chad and I co-wrote a graphic novel with him called Deadbeats that came out about 2012, I think. That sounds about right. Maybe 2013. Mm. And it's set in the 1920s. It's about jazz musicians on the run from the mob uh, go to a small town where there is a Cthulhu cult kind of thing and zombies and stuff. And it's kind of a comedy, kind of action, sort of Lovecraftian. Lots of fun. I'm very proud of it. It never really had the sales that we hoped it was going to have, but uh, I still go back and pick it up every once in a while and go, that's a good book. So if you can find it out there, good luck. Cause I think it's out of print now. Um, it's called dead beats and it's, and it's from self self-made hero uh, publisher. Okay. 
Excellent. If if you can find it, it'll probably be on Amazon or eBay or something. But I'll definitely try that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I I really enjoyed that uh, the uh, the Charles Dexter Ward graphic novel, and I do want to try some of the others. So I will be tracking those. Oh well. yeah, I would say a man. His at the mountains of madness is is amazing. It's it's almost I almost want to say it's better than the original story. <laughs> yeah. I think I think like you say I think. Um, reading his work can be difficult but it's rewarding but i definitely agree that uh, the mountains of madness is um it's something you work up to you know it's it's yeah but i say a comic version or a graphic novel version would be more appealing i think especially because his art i love i love the guy's art and I, I do think to sort of have that uh pictorial representation would make it a lot more uh, accessible all right and also and also you can compact things and remove some of the gumph that doesn't need to be there Oh, I, I, on Deadbeats, I just looked it up. It is on Amazon in the UK and actually on the Kindle. So if you want a Kindle version, a digital version of it, you can get it there. So it is available. There you go. F- track that down. Deadbeats um, by Lackey, Pfeiffer, and Colbard. Excellent. So I mean, we could, I mean, if I could go on and come look at my notes and there's so much things that sort of... Um, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know what you use your time because I do think about all the influences, um, especially sort of from my point of view, as you said about the entry points. Uh, you mentioned Clive Barker. That was that was actually my sort of working backwards. That was my entry point to to Lovecraft. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that and the thing. Um, so there are so many sort of uh, people influenced. Um, I think uh, one of the things I'm going to do later in the year is. Uh, John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, um, The Thing, um, Prince of Darkness in, in the, mouth, oh, in right, the yeah. mouth of mm-hmm. Madness. And all three of those are clearly very Lovecraftian yep. um, in influence. So I'm, I'm really forward to those sorts of films. Yeah. Um, but Chris, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you sort of, of uh, uh, catching up and talking about... No uh, problem. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. And one last time, uh, give the podcast and um, anything else a pop... Uh, yeah, go check us out at hppodcraft.com or go onto Patreon and look for the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast or Witch House Media. That's kind of the company that we uh, run under. Uh, Witch House Media is also another website that you can go to and check that out. That's got some of our writing and other things on there as well. And if you want to hear me talk about Star Trek, which I know a lot about that as well, please check out my very accessible podcast about star trek called rachel watches star trek where my wife who is not a sci-fi person watches star trek and we talk about it so it's 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 one of those things where i think it's anybody could listen to it if you've never watched star trek it's a perfect thing to listen to and that is all i have nothing else to plug thank you so much for having me on your show i really appreciate it no thank you it's been brilliant all right Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A fantastic conversation with the great Chris Lackey. I really appreciate him uh, coming on the show to talk about H.P. Lovecraft. And please do check out the uh, H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I've worked my way through an awful lot of their episodes and their analysis and discussion on uh, Lovecraft's work 
and Lovecraftian work and other tales of the weird and horror um, is fantastic. It's humorous, it's entertaining, uh, and it's also thought-provoking and educational. So I really highly recommend that show if you like uh, this topic. And also, Rachel watches Star Trek. I have also listened to a couple of episodes of that, and I do recommend that as well. It really made me laugh. If you have ever watched the original series of Star Trek, it's really worth uh, having a listen just to see how an outsider views some of the tropes and cliches of the original series. So go and check those out. Uh, I should also say that this podcast uh, was opened with a paragraph, the first paragraph uh, of the story, The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and as Chris said in the uh, in the discussion, possibly one of the best pieces of writing, not just of Lovecraft, but of all horror weird fiction. So this is why I think you should people should check this out. Uh, there's a lot of Lovecraft on Kindle, at a very low price, or you can pick up some fantastic uh, paperback or hardback collections of his work. Please seek it out and uh, give it a try, and then let me what, know what you think. Uh, I'd love to know. So if you want to get in contact all the usual ways by email 20th century geek at gmail.com on twitter facebook tumblr uh, instagram 20th century geek podcast we are there please look us up come say hello uh, happy to talk to anybody about any of the topics you want to talk about and of course we have got our patreon account so please go over there check it out and if you want to throw a couple of coppers our way all of it is greatly appreciated uh, and finally, the YouTube channel. Go and check it out. It's still a very early doors. They're not great yet, but we're working on them. We're going to have some fantastic content on there. Uh, so, I shall wrap up there. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.